Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. I'm Kikita Kaori. And this week we are going to continue our little exploration through Adventures in Rokugan, uh, like we have been previously doing with our special guest, Shannon Calvar, who is an experienced GM with multiple writing credits in Dungeons & Dragons, and is also experienced in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, as well as being somewhat familiar with L5R. <laughs> there is a little bit of news, not not a whole lot. We do have sightings of Writ of the Wild out in the wild, uh, yes. For sale, uh, you know, for sale at certain game stores in, um, Europe and possibly in Canada, though I haven't seen anyone has actually been able to buy it. So it looks like people who are able to get their stuff early because they're n- maybe near the printing houses have gotten their hands on them. Um, the biggest, thing we have learned about them is that there are no new schools in the Rid of the Wilds. No new great clan schools. Great clan schools. Maybe maybe some other non-human schools. Yeah, there's, there's non-human, there's Yobanjin, and I think the Dragonfly has two. Oh, okay. But it's definitely no great clan schools. There's lots of other good things in there, so there are. So I think that's I think that's the biggest piece of news. A lot of other podcasts are reviewing adventures in Rokugan, so I guess we should just kind of dive in where we left off last time, which was we finished talking about the introduction and species and classes and archetypes, but now we are going to dive into backgrounds. Yeah, I was going to say, and I kept overusing the word lovely to describe some of the class design. (laughs) Uh, But for those of you who aren't familiar with the way Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition works, uh, all two of you in the universe know, um, the uh, background is where in Dungeons & Dragons you have your class and your species, which kind of which define things about you. But your background is your opportunity to say, And now I have this experience in the world. And backgrounds are either very generic, right? Like in the uh, base uh, Dungeons & Dragons Player's Handbook, it's things like Acolyte and Scholar and Merchant. And it gives you some skills and some languages um, and kind of a, a narrative ability. But the idea is that you have someplace you can hook your character into. Right. And it, it gives your game master a place to start in creating your story and hooking you into the world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it means you can you can have like a, a even though you've you know, got two characters very different, like a, a paladin and a rogue, they could both be noble. And that's a connection between them or the or everyone could be a sailor or you could link people in other right. ways. Or you could have like a human barbarian and a human barbarian acolyte, somebody who comes from a monastery or you know, a, a religious background, is very different than a human barbarian outlander who's more of your t- typical. Um, so it's a way of introducing some variation into 
what is really a very rigid kind of a structure. Does that make sense? Just as a starting place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it, it is. It is one that I've played like two campaigns, two and a half, and it is kind of neat. It's a, it's a neat thing to add. And so, what they've done in Adventures in Rokugan is they've taken that basic idea. They've expanded that now to cover the clans, to cover the non-human backgrounds, and also to cover non-samurai backgrounds. So not just foreigners, but people who come from other backgrounds within Rokugan itself. Now, obviously, the bulk of it is clans, <laughs> right? I mean, this is still this is still Legend of the Five Rings. Um, but, you know, Leaf Russell, the language of the Shinoman Forest, Nozumi, is a valid language choice, just as an example. So remember I said earlier, backgrounds oftentimes give you bonus languages. So now you've got some customization. You've got some space to work with. And it all starts with just a quick discussion of the structure of the great clans and how samurai are educated, because they're still trying to emphasize that this is a Legend of the Five Rings game. Right. Even if you can do all these other things, this is still Legend of the Five Ranks. Yeah, they do. They do put it straight, straightforward, straight up front. So, yeah, I mean, and this is this. It kind of reminds me, actually, when Path of Waves came out, because before your your background was one of the clans, a great clan or a minor clan or imperial. But then with Path of Waves, you had the ability to be born in the forests or raised in the mountains. And I think this background stuff is kind of similar to that. If you're if so if you're used to FFT L5R, I think that's kind of what the backgrounds Right, that's the commoner backgrounds. But one thing to realize, one important thing is that backgrounds are not feats. Right? One of the things they have done away with here is the kind of extra narrative ability. So like if I was a noble, then I could have I, I could get uh, food and shelter basically from other nobles, right? I'm a noble, you're a noble. Hey, let's let, let's noble together. Um, <laughs> they've actually removed that and went instead with skill proficiencies, just basically things you're good at, things you know how to do because of your background. Now I'll qualify that they do have feats later on in the book and the but and those feats your access to those feats can be dependent on your background all of the feats that they have later on in the book are available to people of certain backgrounds like if you are a dragon clan samurai you can have this suite of feats that you have access to but those feats are also available to others if they have certain uh, proficiency levels like skill levels or attribute levels but you don't get a feat just for having the background okay right i just wanted to clarify that it's that's actually what they were trying to do right your clarification they're trying to move some of those mechanics out of the backgrounds so that they're not hidden and not gated well and a background you can only choose once Right, right. Yes, yes, yes. You can't, you can't, you can't suddenly have decided to be born someplace right. else. And so that by moving those mechanics out, they actually give you greater flexibility because the, your feats are going to be picking up as you go along. We can talk about that a little bit later, but your background, it is what it is. Hmm. <laughs> that's, 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 that, that's already happened 
before you've even rolled your first d20. So that's that's fixed. That's fixed. And how your character feels about it may vary, but it is it, mm, yeah, it is what it is. So so I just wanted to start with that because that that does influence how we talk about these things, right? So let's start off with the crab clan. <clears throat> Um, here we see the structure of it for the first time, right? They talk about the clan. They talk about its background. They, t- they talk about its responsibilities, right? So what are the, – the clan has a job. What is that job? Uh, in the case of the crab clan, it's still defending the wall. <laughs> uh, big shock, right? Um, but then it talks about the cla- crab clan culture. Just a two, three-paragraph um, section that says – Okay, you are a Rokugani from the Crab Clan, right? Uh, so Crab Clan values stalwart and practical thinking to the degree most other clans do not. So they're trying to tell you a little bit about how you might role play this character, right? And then, just for added flavor, it gives you background knowledge. These are things you might know. And that's really, that's been true in the other editions of L5R for FFG, but it's really nice and it's not in um, Dungeons and Dragons backgrounds at all, like what you know. And that then sets up kind of a cluster, right? You know your history, you know your responsibilities, you know your culture, and you know kinds of things that are unique to your character. I definitely like that being stated because, I mean... Legend of the Five Rings does have a reputation for the you know, people assuming you, you, the player, have to know these things. And it's nice to have it stated that your character knows these things and you should behave accordingly and the GM should go, oh, no, no, I'm not going to give you a gotcha with that. Obviously, your character would know that and you won't have done the dumb thing because you know it's dumb. I like having that written down. <laughs> no, it, it's really... This is a very extremely handy page. You know, it, you know, you you open it up. It's there on the page and you can just read what your, what your character should be doing. Now you may choose to play against type. That's fine, but at least you know what the type is. <laughs> yeah. In L5R FFG, they have schools and that's what they've had all the way along, uh, that are clan schools. And in, Adventures in Rokugan, they've changed it so that instead of having a clan school or a a family school associated with the clan, they'll give two or three different paths to go through to create a a character of a type. So if you want to play a Hidabushi or a Yasuki merchant, what they will do is say, okay, if you want to play a Yasuki merchant person in the Yasuki school, you start off in this class, like maybe a courtier, and then go to Bushi and pick up another levels, a couple levels at level three, and, and they'll give you a path that would create by the end a fairly, what they think is a quintessential Yasuki courtier. That's absolutely true. So each of the clans is a cluster of backgrounds. So you don't have Crab Clan as your background. You actually have Hida family or Haruma family. Okay. And each family then gives you some skill proficiencies, like Haruma are good with survival. Big surprise, right? And a dexterity-based skill. They give you some languages. They give you some equipment. And then they have what Jeannie just talked or what yeah, Jeannie just talked about, right? Uh, the Haruma skirmisher skill is a quick build. Now, this uh, 
it tells you where to put your attributes. It suggests uh, feat selections. It suggests a leveling strategy. Now, this is a little more challenging because of the way that levels come in a D&D campaign, right? You're either picking up experience points or more often you're using what's called milestone leveling, which me, which essentially means that you get a you get a level when the game master thinks you should. <laughs> um, I mean, it, that's sort of a negative way to say it, but that's really what happens. So levels take a t- take a fair amount of time sometimes. And so if you're imagining this like advancement in a skill point based system where you have skill, you have points, experience points that you're using to buy abilities, there's kind of a trickle effect there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like in a standard, because uh, I'm, I'm finally getting to actually play in a game, which is nice. And essentially every session we get about enough XP to buy a technique if you want to. You know, and so this is a very this is going to be a very different effect, right? There's a I, I hate to use the word periodic, but that's what it is. <laughs> it's periodic rather than continuous advancement. Yeah, I remember that 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 kind of thing. Oh, so okay, now we're leveling up, and that that can be a chunk of the session, and then you spend a couple of sessions at that level, and you don't change through all of that, and then you level up again. And so I like that they did this with this with the quick builds, right? I, I think that's a, I think it's an interesting idea, but I'm not sure how well it's going to play out in practice, just because of that periodic advancement. At the same time, it's nice. It, it's good to see it here. And some of them are, you know, like if you wanted to make an Asahina artificer, uh, Asahina Shigenja, you just say, okay, start as a ritualist. Take the uh, artisan track and just do that forever. And there, that's 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 what it says for an Asahina Shigenja. That's that's just what it has. I did want to take some time um, to talk about some of the backgrounds or some of the changes, possibly related to to that. If we can divert from this, because I think we've actually covered what they have there pretty well. Did you have something? Final, you wanted to say? Um, no, actually, I was going to say I don't think we should talk through each of these, but there are changes in the backgrounds of the clans that are worth bringing out. But that's the same structure is followed for all of the clans, and then we, yeah, and the other, and the others, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, other backgrounds, backgrounds yeah. and we should we should mention some of those. But let's talk about the changes to the clans first, because that's where people are really going to focus. Right. I did want to say one thing. Um, many of the clans are set up very similarly to each other. Um, there is an errata that is going to be added, uh, as I, I mentioned the Asahina before. The Asahina, for some reason, are like the only great clan family that only gets one language. So, uh, when if you pick that as your background, you get both Rokugani and High Rokugani, like all the other Crane clan families do. Scorpion get the nicest; they get three languages and get to pick one of them. Um, but uh, mostly, they're all kind of similar. Um, and uh, as far as flavor text goes. 
in general, for most most of the clans, it is pretty much the same. They do not go deep into some of the stories of these these clans or anything. They keep it on a superficial level. But there is a change in the dragon clan background that talks about uh, how the dragon work in the Dawn of the Empire. And as you're a, a big dragon fan, Kuvar, you want to talk about that? It's, it's not just that I'm a dragon fan, specifically. Um, and I must be said, I have not read the actual book myself. Right, so I'm getting this secondhand. But it is a, a fairly well-spread-out thing that not all of the eight kami and indeed fuleng they're not all full siblings anymore um apparently at some point in the past lady sun had a liaison with someone from yunfenguo which is the new china inspired place which we'll get onto one of the gods from there and togashi and fuleng are both from that relationship which is a change that I do not like and I think has some unpleasant implications. And there's a, I mean, when, when talking about specifically backgrounds of the great clans, I don't like what it does to the focus of the dragon clan because apparently, and, and maybe I'm, maybe I've heard this wrong. So I do, I do want to check this is like, this is right, but that Togashi is more interested in regaining contact with the country of his father, which tends to imply that his focus is away from rock again, um, which is just not something I like very much. Um, maybe like, like, like a lot of things, maybe I've got it wrong somewhere because, you know, I'm getting this second hand. <sighs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think this is a case of odd writing. I'll actually read this read the section. Never fully aligned with his half-siblings, Togashi secluded himself and his clan to the northern mountains, where he privately mourned the descent of Fulang and sought enlightenment to bring him closer to his father and to the mortal land of his father's creation. When Lady Sun had two children from her liaison with the lord uh, from Chengao, who at the time and from that liaison he had Fulang and Tagashi. Tagashi she gave a Rokugani style name and or, 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 or possibly a, 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 a that that led because I don't know that it was a Rokugan at the time but yeah the, same as the siblings yeah right passed him off as uh, Lord Moon's child Fulang the father insisted give a Chengao name and therefore could not pass him off as Lord Moon's child. And therefore Lord Moon was furious and sealed the heavens of this land, Chengao, from the heavens of Rokugan and treated Fu Lang badly and uh, according to this, you know, the other kami, like some of them didn't like him because trying to get on his father's, their father's good side. 
And uh, Togashi felt bad about secretly knowing this. And, uh, you know, the uh, purpose then of those Togashi who know about this difference, you know, is to go try find ways to bring Fu Lang back and redeem him uh, and potentially um, contact the descendants of Chengo, but but it's um, it's mostly around redeeming Fu Lang as Togashi's brother. Now, I don't like this either, though I understand why they did it. I grump 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 grump. So I Fu Lang. Not at you. Yeah. I point out. So so Fu Lang is not a Japanese style name. All right, and it has always been very problematic for um, L5R to have the bad guy get the Chinese name, um, especially considering the relationship between. China and Japan, because Japan has... The the word fraught. Mm -hmm. Fraught is very, very fraught. Uh, Japan in the past, uh, and not even that super long distant past, uh, has done uh, atrocious war crimes in China during World War II. This is a very um, difficult relationship. So a Japanese-style story painting the bad guy as Chinese with a Chinese name is very problematic and always has been. And and, and that is my issue. That's my big issue is because they've now leaned into that more than they've leaned away. Yeah. Rather than change the name of Fuleng, which is what I believe they should have done. Um, yes. And and just given him a Rokugani name and maybe um, say that Fulang was not his name, but it was used by the people before Rokugan became Rokugan as a title. Yeah. Uh, well, my understanding, I must say, is that it wasn't meant to be his original name. It was some kind of title or some kind of euphemism. Mm-hmm. And the kami were so distraught about losing him, they refused to say his true name. Yeah, 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 yeah. To associate his true name with it. There's a ways they could have done this. But the other thing is, is that Tagashi turns into a dragon and Fulang turns into a dragon in Clan Wars. Okay. And we don't have anything of any of the other kami ever turning into a dragon. And so instead of saying that all of the kami, could turn into dragons. Now they say that it's only these two because of this other other relationship. And I think I I it doesn't make me mad. I disagree with the decision that they made. It explains things. It works for a high fantasy kind of um setting if you want to keep all the other kami as quote unquote normal and not turning into dragons, uh, and keep Tagashi and Fulang being able to be, like, way higher power turning into dragons people. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, this does... Uh, I mean, the, the one thing that irritates me is the actual plot stuff that I've been talking about, like, 
I don't like that Togashi now has a focus that is outside rock again. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't like the implication that Fu Leng is evil because either he's half Chinese or because he was bullied as a child or because his father hated him. Right? Those all, those, the, that's kind of the implication as to why he's evil. And I don't like any of that. The other thing I don't like, this is, this is like a, a not level 5R pet peeve. This is a general, you don't have to explain everything pet peeve. These are gods. They can be weird. And if you want to find another difference between Togashi and Fuleng, well, unlike all the other kami, they've been around for a thousand years. If if Doji had come back and, and hadn't decided to dissolve into sea foam because she was sad, maybe she'd be turning into a dragon in 1123 or whenever, or, or some other thing. Or maybe they all voluntarily sacrificed their ability to turn into a dragon to form connections with the mortal world, to fall in love, to do all the things that they other do. Or the other possibility is that Akodo could have done something. He wouldn't turn to a dragon. He would turn to something else. Doji, Doji had some other thing, not, maybe not turning into a thing, but actually had some big, or at least a thousand years later, you know, gathering her power and, and knowledge, maybe a thousand years later, had she been the final one in the big fight, the second day of thunder, she could have pulled some other interesting thing off. Yeah, I think that they missed uh, an opportunity to make the other kami more interesting too. So, absolutely, like I said, th- th- this is this is not a not a part I get into. It strikes me as trying to explain something in a complex way, right? They're they're trying to get one story that gets you why is the dragon clan removed? Why do they have a substantially different philosophy, right? Um why are the two kami different from everyone else? Why does he have a name that I... Okay, so admittedly, I'm not the most up on current L5R lore, but I've been around L5R since Imperial Edition. And I do remember that they just didn't say his name. It was... That is not his name. Fulang is just a name that pe- other people called him. So... <laughs> um, it's a something. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. absolutely. So it strikes me as some, there's a lot of effort being put in this book to make it very accessible. And some, that's why I read the line, right? Because that line could mean any number of things. It could mean he was, that he sees the heavens is in balance and he's trying to restore the balance. It could mean, uh, you know, because when you separate parts of the grand machine, it begins to break down. Perhaps his father's anger is actually the source of all of evil. I don't know. But they're making way too much work here. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind the dragon focus having a little bit more to do with this um, Chengao, the this this China prototype. I think that that's all right because the monasteries and all were kind of um, styled on some of the Chinese monasteries. Specifically, the highest house of light is 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 basically Shaolin Temple. I also put that down to Togashi's just been around for a thousand years. A thousand years ago, there was more there was more connection between the two countries, and thus he was very influenced by that. He just he, he because he's literally there, and all the Togashi are reincarnations of previous Togashi. They haven't kept up with the fashions, <laughs> you know. 
But uh, I, I agree that this is this is probably the most problematic thing. And I think they were trying to find a way to fix the the problem of the name of Fulang and some of the other stuff by giving it an explanation, but it actively went in the wrong direction. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so that's that's the problem with it. But okay, we've ranted about that enough, and I can't, you know, it, it goes past <laughs> their uh, sensitivity readers. Though I wonder if it had if they had uh, Chinese sensitivity readers for that part. I, I yeah, and I, it is also pretty easy to ignore in my and and actually a lot of people don't like what it does to Lady Sun's character because she's deceiving. Lord Moon, she's not protecting Fuleng, uh, and and she's hiding stuff from her children about Togashi's background, and it's like this is this is not a good look. It's it's not a good look at all. So a lot of a lot of people don't like that aspect as well. I should, I should mention enough. that. Well, it, the, the good news is it's its own little text block, so you you can yes. easily just feel free to you ignore. Can just blink and ignore it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the one thing I, I I actually the one thing that actually stood out to me, um, and this is not because of my wife, I swear to goodness, um, is the change in the role of Lady Doji, right? And I actually went and reread in the uh, original Crane Clan book to make sure I remembered this. She goes from being kind of the pretty sister to binding together existing kingdoms for her brother's empire before her brother shows up. You know, she is a she she she's not a warrior queen. She's a uh, she's a diplomat queen. But what that assumes then is that the land of Rokugan, when they landed, already had a highly developed civilization, which is later actually implied when you start to read about literacy in some of the other backgrounds. Right. Because it's obvious by the second century of Rokugan that they have a printing press. Otherwise, there's no way to produce the number of books they're talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, admittedly, fifth, that was a factor in FFG's version, where they very specifically talk about Lady Doji being a cultural arbiter and deciding what of the various... I mean, it depends what you mean by highly developed, I guess. Uh, what, what did the kami bring to it? What did the the, the people from um, Tianguo? What did they bring to it? And what you know? And, and what did Rokan have? And that's all in a bit of a a mix. But Lady Doji, they they very actually very, they talk about her uh, essentially being in her own way a conqueror in almost the same way that Okoto was a, was a conqueror. It's just that she did it culturally, and there were. Elements of culture, like styles and fashions and ways of doing things and stuff, that have just disappeared because Lady Doji didn't promote them. So, yeah, that 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 is that's been a factor, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so it, it just it creates a very different picture of what Rokugan was when the Kami land. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always thought of it as like. Because there was a, a, there's the Yamato period in Japan, which is really when it first became unified. And there's the pre Yamato, which is a lot of different cultures, a lot of different kingdoms. And that's kind of what I feel Rock Again was like. 
But yeah, there, there's that, always that question: How technology advanced were they? How technology advanced were the kami? How technically advanced was uh, Tianguo? And how did that all mix together? To the extent that it did. So yeah, it's it just I just wanted to point that out. So let's keep going with backgrounds. Yeah, in addition to each of the great clans, we also have uh, multiple families for the uh, Imperials. You can have stats for building your Hante if you want to. Um, and Or at least you can have a background and so on for it. They also have a lot of minor clans. Um, they have the Mantis, the Badger, the Cat, the centipede, the deer, the dragonfly, the falcon, the fox, the hare, the moth, the sparrow, the tortoise, and the wasp. Including with the wasp, that it's basically just a mercenary gang. It only just got made a, a minor clan. Um, the cat and the fox, hare, moth, sparrow, those ones don't have any schools in... L5R yet in in regular fifth edition. Nor does Wasp, does it? Nor does Wasp. Yeah, Wasp, wasp being yeah the, the clan of Suruchi. Oh, you mean the Tutsi family? No, no, just Suruchi. <laughs> Given all of these minor clans, uh, I don't doubt that there will be other adventures in Rokugan supplement. But this list is so exhaustive of all these different backgrounds that um, I don't think you will see anything new in the terms of backgrounds coming up in it. You will see other things, but not that. <laughs> Would it be particularly difficult, do you think, to make a background for a different... Like, if you want to do Ox Clan, would that be hard? No, backgrounds are very yeah, simple to make. Very straightforward. Mm, yeah, because um, making, like, a minor clan in FFG, you have to make a whole school, at least one. Whereas it sounds like for this, you don't quite need no, to do that. No, it's it's literally write a paragraph, uh, select some skill proficiencies, um, figure out what languages they have and what uh, equipment they're going to be delivered with and call it a day. If you really want to make it nice, you'd add the suggested feats section. So yeah, the, the, kind, the kind of if you want to make a deer clan, you want to take this and this and this, maybe this. It, just to create a... A mechanical difference in addition to your, because remember those mechanical differences are tied into the feats now. So, I mean, there's plenty of room for feats. There's plenty of room for new backgrounds. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very flexible. I just doubt that they will come up with more off the fly because they covered Rokugani lore so far so well. We may have we may have to write up a whale clan. <laughs> <laughs> That's just for our son. Um. Uh, yes, he wants to make a whale clan. All right. In addition to all the minor clans, uh, we wouldn't want to stop with just the samurai. We've got the ability to make uh, ronin, and uh, the ronin are built with uh, the basically similar to Path of Waves. So the backgrounds for Ronin, you know, you can have either a monastery background, which makes you a monk, or a commoner background. And the commoner backgrounds are all um, just straight from Path of Waves. Like where you're from. Yeah, it's city and forest hamlet and haunted, haunted region, port town, uh, mountain village, 
So it's where are you from? Right. And I like I like that we obviously, you know, given the way D D works, Ronin are going to be as playable as anybody else, which is oft oft been a problem with L five R. Not so much in fifth, but in previous editions, yeah. Ronin were like, Ugh. But I, I like the fact that is not the case here. Well, and by divorcing the mechanics out of the background, right, that makes that very possible. Because all of the mechanical benefits are really in the feats, right, and the classes. And I've often wished that mainline L5R had something that modular. Uh, in a way, the curriculum system could be more like that in 5th edition, but we are still suffering from school bloat. And I, I kind of wish we didn't have to. Um, yeah, and that structure made a whole lot of sense in 1st edition, right? When it was, you know, your seven great clans, and then eventually the Naga show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they only have five techniques apiece, and yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to come up with five unique techniques for absolutely every single clan, uh, school, yeah, sorry. 20, 25 years later, yeah. <laughs> um, the next section in the background talks about foreigners. And uh, I will emphasize, they do not use the term gaijin, uh, which is kind of offensive in Japanese, and you try not to use that. They use foreigner, which I think is just the most straightforward way of dealing with um that kind of thing. Why not call it what it is? Yeah, that's what there are. Um, uh, they do try to focus on when you are role playing uh, foreigners. Uh, you know, you don't have to do. There's nothing saying that the Rogigani have to be prejudiced towards them. This is Dungeons and Dragons. The approach can be just curiosity and um, interest. You know, just fish out of water there's nothing that says it has to be the same right and this is both a section of you know updating our experience right to try to be part of our world but it's also one of the underlying assumptions of dungeons and dragons going all the way back to you know (laughs) basic edition and earlier is that you live in a multi-species world you know so a, a, a human being isn't all is pretty much a human being you're like oh look it's another human um, so, I mean, that I, I like this section, in case you can't tell. And they've played, they described it as being fluctuating. So they can have, if you want, you can play your Rokugan during a more pinned down time where there is less foreign trade and less, less people from other countries in Rokugan, or you can play it more open. So that's a, a GM decision. And we've kind of talked about these fluctuating scales between war and peace before this is the same same deal you know openness versus non-openness yeah but the other thing i wanted to say about this section right so in the 90s which is when when we were first writing these things um asian fusion was sort of an effect of the information environment yeah 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 or, or lack of information yeah pretty much uh i I was trying to be polite there but we knew nothing okay listen (laughs) (laughs) um but here in the background section we see them stepping up and saying look we can do better now right we can break out uh india from 
uh, you know, one part of the Middle East from Mongolia, from China, from Korea, because we now we have all of the information at our fingertips that we just didn't have before. Yeah, and and honestly, some some of the the kind of Asian fusion stuff was not just ignorance; it was kind of not caring. For, for, I'm not saying that's about the listeners necessarily to do with the people who actually wrote L5R, but in the culture in West, a lot of people just did not care. It, they're, they're all Asian. Who cares? But now I think we're more understanding that, yeah, we should care. And, and we, we do. do. And so they've updated it to reflect both more knowledge and a, a better and, you know, stronger intent to make those differentiations. And that's all for the good, right? Yeah, I, I see we've got some old favorites like the Ivory Kingdoms, who actually got a big kick in Path of Waves. Yes, the Ivory Kingdoms is definitely styled to be more like um, India, just like it was in Path of Waves. Uh, it still has the um, link to the Shadowlands border on one end. Um, it is very multicultural, of course, as, as India is. And, um, you know, they, we see a little, we get a nice little description in there, uh, on its geography as well, which I, I, I liked. Uh, um, it's, you know, with, with, of course, it's, uh, big, uh, city, Bavaya Tapura. I'm sorry. Can't say, say it very well. Um, the city of splendor, just similar to passive ways and the ghost lands, which is the, sh the shadow lands border. But we, we get a nice picture of the broad, um, area, but those two regions are the, um, are the areas for the PCs to have backgrounds in. And I could see potentially them making deep dives into this, like the ivory kingdoms. Uh, at some point with this, with other regions, but at least they introduce it here. Uh, and something that I appreciated, it might, this might be in uh, the other book is they just flat out tell you where the, where they're drawing inspiration from, <laughs> you know, just, I like that. I'm a simple guy. I like simple things. Uh, <laughs> you know, I like easy instruction. It makes my life easier. So the, the Shilavan, are the people of the city of splendor. And so we, we get a good uh, sense of that. And the, the Yoda are the um, people from the ghost lands. And then moving on from the uh, ivory kingdoms, uh, kind of based on India, we have the Kamaras Caliphate again, uh, based on kind of, Turkey, uh, definitely the cradle of civilization. Gold, golden Age Arabia, golden uh, age. the Golden Age Islamic, you know, because that was that that was quite a spread of yes, cultures and countries. So long that it's really hard to pick a, a single. Exactly, culture. exactly. <laughs> um, just similar to the way Rokugan is a, a mashup of all of Japanese several centuries. Countries. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. They do have uh, in you know they do talk about how diverse, how how broad um, the the caliphate is. They don't mention they do mention 
uh, the burning sands, but it's not an emphasis on the desert. Rather, it's an emphasis on the uh, whole whole number of peoples there from the Nahari, the Sogdan, the Suli, the Bandar, the Ganzu, many, many other peoples coming together. I, I still just want to have someone, I would like it to be official, that the Rokigani just call everything to the West the Burning Sands. And they don't, and it doesn't matter whether it's mountains or swamp to them, anything to the west of Rockingham, that's the burning sands. Yeah. They do, anyway, they de emphasize that idea, but they do, do say that the Rokugani call it that. Um, they do have, so the backgrounds for, from the Caliphate are from Alzawira, which is the city of books. By the way, I'll put in my plug for, um, Fortune and Strife, because the new episode came out Friday, and we are finally back on on track and producing, and it is right now all set with poor ro- hapless Rokugani in Alzuera, the city of books. Um, and also they have, as another background, people from the Hidden Valley of the Ganzu, uh, which if you read the uh, Into the Burning Sands book, the Ganzu are uh, unicorn allies um, to... In, in the area of the burning sands outside the, on the border of the caliphate. So that was cool. And then we get the new ones. <laughs> well, I, I think from the sounds of things, the Plains of Wind and Stone, home of the Ujik, other than them getting a name. Which is nice. <laughs> yes. Which, no, no. It, it, it's, it's like now it's got a separate, instead of just the burning sands, which incorporates the Ujik home. And uh, the Caliphate, and once upon a time, fake fantasy ancient Egypt for some reason, <laughs> um, and all that. It's now got its own name, which is the Plains of Winterstone, and I think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, but but the you're right in that the Ujik are pretty much as familiar as we have had them before, but there's more in depth. And I think that this stuff, if anybody's interested in this outside of Rokugan material just this section on backgrounds is like worth reading to you know grab and and pull it into your own campaigns if you want to do anything on the borders of rokugan um there are two ordus listed so each ordu in the the ujik area um they aren't settled in one location, so you don't come from a location. You come from an ordu, which is like your f- big family tribe. Right, 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 right. Gotcha. Around together, and there's the Kalamic ordu, and there is the uh, Menges ordu, and uh, these are these are really, really families, um, extended big families with you know, their uh, matriarchs or patriarchs and their children all described in here, you know, some of their children anyway. And uh, you are from a family, like a personal biological kind of extended family, which is cool. It's different than Rokugani families or anything like that. I really like, I really like that they could go from saying, hi, you're in a, hi, you're in a clan and family kind of more legal entity in Rokugan to hi, you are from this kind of location um, as a commoner to hi, you are from these specific areas in the, you know, Kamara Caliphate and the Ivory Kingdoms to hi, you're from this real like family group 
or this other one, all using backgrounds. They're all on the same level. I like it. And then the we have what we have kind of been talking about, which is the Yun Feng Gao, the Kingdom of the Clouds, uh, who we've referred to previously as Tian Gao, Tian meaning heaven. Um, this is uh, the same place. The Tian Gao is kind of the heavens over the Yun Feng Gao. And this is fake fantasy China, more or less, but this is very wuxia, classic, beautiful uh, China. Uh, a lot of, uh, there is a, a big focus on gemstones in this description. So they've got spirit jade, which, uh, is like considered particularly holy. Uh, that people have been like a little bit griping about, oh, it's holier than regular jade. And regular. <laughs> I don't know. There's nowhere they've done a test. Between the two, but anyway. We're doing, we're doing science. Okay. Right. In order to do science, we need, uh, let's see, we got three ghosts, uh, and we've got and an Oni, at least two Oni. We can do some proper double blind testing. Like, no, I don't think that's what's going on. No. No. So, so it's kind of, uh, but uh, they they man the area in the mountains, uh, kind of the way that the Chinese would legendary Chinese, I should say, because it's be very clear that this is legendary. Um, would man the Great Wall with you know smoke signals and watching for invasions, and and as I said, the. They really like emphasize the the gemstones from here. So if you got a gemstone in Rokugan, it's probably from here. But they don't have a whole lot about the culture over. They don't. And I'd actually like to follow up on the spirit jade thing because again, I'm always looking for the engine, right? The story engine. From my point of view, again, I, I, I literally just reread the section. So like, I didn't get that that this was like super potent jade. What I got was that they never let it leave their kingdom. Which is what it says. And that then creates a conflict with Rokugan. Because Rokugan has an insatiable need for jade. (laughs) Um, And they have lots of it, but they won't let it go. So, I mean, my my point is, my point to that was, one, wow, super spirit jade. I hadn't even gone there. Anyways, uh, but two... One of the things they're doing as you read through these descriptions on these backgrounds, so that's why I, that's why I said this is going to take a while as a section, is they are setting up conflicts. They are creating opportunities. So now you know um, uh, that Yufeng Gao has a huge amount of jade, right? How is Rokugan going to react to and that? And potentially super jade. And potentially super jade. Potentially super jade. <laughs> Well, I, I'm thinking of more, not just like, how would Rokugan react? We'll, we'll assume that the dragon are keeping this secret, more or less. Yeah, not from the and Yusuke, the only people not. you see. <laughs> <laughs> the only people in general you're going to see in, in Rokugan might be, like, you could make your character who was a uh, jewel merchant or something like that. But if you wanted to make a campaign... Then having somebody afflicted with something that normal Jade doesn't fix, now you have an adventuring party with a mission. You've got to go get some of the spirit Jade from across the mountains, and who knows what that will all take. But that sounds like a major campaign to go cure your, you know, Lord's 
oldest daughter from like some horrible Oni curse and normal Jade won't cut it. You need some secret, super secret spirit Jade from across the mountains. And now you have an adventure with giant insects and in the passes and who knows what all political anything. I think these are intentionally written somewhat vague because it lets you make it up for your adventure. But I just I just wanted to point out that there's a huge amount of adventure opportunity being embedded into these backgrounds was kind of my where I was going with that. Uh, and quite deliberately. Then they have the coastal islands and the coastal islands are kind of so there isn't really a, a good Southeast Asia prototype here or Philippines, um, but you could take the coastal islands that way they tend to be they're 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 mantis contact there's lots of them uh they list a couple cities with them they're generally port cities with you know one is kind of a bat spirit focused one and one is more uh multinational island ones um but you could make a coastal island for uh, any of the any additional cultures you want to make, and maybe they will come later on. But the whole thing is so big. There's different cultures. As I said, they only give two examples. But if you wanted to make a proto Philippines, if you wanted to make uh, Thailand or uh, Malaysia or um, Vietnam or something like that, and you know what you're doing. Which, you know, we recommend everybody does, you know, don't make it just on, on, on nothing. Make it intelligently. Um, especially if you yourself have a cultural background from those cultures, you could make a coastal island for any of those. And I think that it would be a perfect way to integrate cultures that this book did not include into the coastal islands. I mean, you fundamentally can't do everywhere in one book because then the book would be like right. three months thick. <laughs> right. But if you want to include your culture and you, let's say you're from Burma, if you want to include Burma in your Rokugan and you are knowledgeable about Burma and, and want to include it as a place, you'd set it up as a coastal island and, and have an interaction, you know, by ship to Rokugan. That works fine. Japan's an island anyway, so... So there you go. <laughs> the last one is Sabeyusukan. And I probably said that wrong, but that's the Dom Peaks. Sabeyusukan, I think. Sabeyusukan, okay. This is the Korea area. Korean analog, Korea yeah. area. The Dawn Peaks. And it's kind of to the uh, northeast of Rokugan. They do not have the Yabanjin in the book. Yeah, it's it's a big question about whether they just haven't mentioned them or whether they're not there. I think so. In old five R, the Abanjin were kind of described as the people who lived in the area that is Rokugan that did not um, join the empire being made by the kami and therefore were pushed out towards the edges. The focus in Adventures in Rokugan is on civilizations that predated the kami. So the Yabanchan are not included as a civilization 
I guess because they lived there or were, were pushed out. I, I don't I don't really know why they didn't include it. And as is Sebyuksan also the because I believe that they've got cl- closer ties to the Phoenix clan. Yes. So the way that it's it's set up, they had at the time um, before the Kami came, the country of Sebuksan was uh, ruled by a powerful sorcerer who is only remembered as the nameless tyrant. And the Asawa tribe was from this area and fled with their library and their knowledge from that country to preserve it from the uh, nameless tyrant. And so Asawa went south into the area called Rokugan to save that secret knowledge. But the uh, Jundalai League, which was um, families of those who left behind, united to depose that tyrant only about 500 years before the present. Oh, that's no, t- that's no time at all. <laughs> that's no time at all. Uh, you know, it's, it's not really. Um, if you think about if, you know, if you're talking about that. Uh, so at least 500 years ago, Rokugan was there, right? <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the tyrant still has followers, potentially even followers within Rokugan. Um, and the heroes from the Jindalai League or who are fighting the tyrant are hunting them down even into Rokugan. So it's giving you, as you said, story hooks to, to get into, um, the, into Rokugan or for Rokugani to go into the Dawn Peaks area. But the, I, I really did like the background. I liked, I wasn't so keen on the dragon link, but this uh, link to Saibaksan for the Phoenix, just explaining why they have some of their, you know, cultural things remaining the same. And especially given the story we already have of Sheba bowing to Asawa and everything like that, it explains why the Phoenix set up the way they did without having a whole lot of extra maho or having Asawa be, he can be incredibly powerful, but it, it gives it a human power. Does that make sense? It's like they have knowledge that went beforehand. Yeah, yeah. And it does also, because one of the things I was saying is if you've got, you know, the Phoenix lands being, because some people are basically saying the Phoenix lands are basically Korea. And then I'm kind of, well, in that case, why are they, why are they all using Japanese style names? But if they actually emigrated to get away from something very bad and they kind of said, can we live here now, please? And, um, I think that makes much we more sense. We are living here now. <laughs> yeah. We're living, we're living here now. But yeah, yeah. But you know, I think that makes a lot more sense. And yeah, it's not like there isn't a whole bunch of Japanese culture that wasn't inspired by Koreans literally coming over to Japan. So I think that that all actually, I like that quite a lot. And I certainly, I really like the idea that there is a Korean inspired country to go to. If you want to, ha- you want to incorporate more of that stuff into your Legend of the Five Rings or your adventures in Rock again. I like the fact that they've now got an official 
Korean inspired plates. Like they've got an official China inspired plates and official, you know, the, the coastal islands as well. I've, I really, I Has really it like that. Never been conquered. Neither the China or the Korea or the islands have ever been conquered by Rokugan. No, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have their own own self. They have their own interaction. The geography, why it's so hard to get back and forth, uh, you know, they do have a divine explanation why the gods did that. I don't like their divine explanation. <laughs> uh, can let's you know, let's let's blame Fuleng. Blame Fuleng yeah, for everything. There's still a divine explanation for why Rokugan is so cut off from these other countries, but in D and D, it's not so cut off. You can't have people wandering through. So I like that. And then, of course, you've got your non-human groups. So you've got your Shinomonaga and Ivory Kingdoms Naga, and you've got a few of the tribes of the Nazumi. You've got a couple Aries uh, for the. Um, uh, Tengu, which is cool. They didn't, they haven't had Aries before, but, uh, that's fine. For the animal yokai, you've got the, uh, uh, Shiksudo and the Realm of Mischief. Uh, Senkaku, yeah. Let's remember that this is a background. It's different from your species. So I can have a human who comes from the court of the animals path, or I could have a Naga who, um, comes from a coastal island. This is, again, this is modular, right? So uh, obviously, if I'm thinking about the court of the animals path, I'm really thinking of a yokai, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the first place I'm going to go. But I could be an enchanted painting from uh, the court of the animals path. <laughs> that, that The unique background, right? <laughs> or unique species. And this is where they have their spirit realm. So because we've already described ghosts, as being a character species, uh, you could have the, re- they have the realm of the hungry dead, uh, the realm of waiting or Mado, and the realm of slaughter as being places where you come from. No, you can't come from Jikoku. There is a general presumption in all of this that you are playing good. And I know people who are dedicated Shadowlands evil players, even if I never quite grokked that, um, who are kind of disappointed that this book does not have a bunch of maho in it uh, and ways to play really evil monsters and stuff. Um, never I been my thing. Never knew how to, I, I, I don't know how to play that style. So I, uh, there's certainly, it's easy enough to homebrew if you really want to do it. Yeah. If you know. If, well, yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> They are setting up different conflicts than that in this in this book. I think is the right how I would think of it. Right? These are very much conflicts between conflicts within the person. We'll get to that in a minute. But also conflicts between backgrounds and positions in society, and what you want and what you need to do. And those kinds of conflicts don't necessarily lend themselves to, hi, here's my demon, uh, and my demon is going to be walking around on the city streets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm going to be corrupting people. And uh, do you have any puppies I could murder? Yeah. It's just, it's it's a different game than that. <laughs> yeah. Our, our editor it loves playing evil stuff, so please be okay. nice. <laughs> 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 Otherwise, he might just edit you out. Are us out. Ah. <laughs> 
All right. So we successfully covered backgrounds. Anyway, that's all the backgrounds. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Radio, where gamers roll.